I'm Camila Rizvi and welcome to The Briefing. It's the latest news headlines to your headphones this Thursday, 8 October. And lucky me, I'm joined by Jan Fran. Hello, Jam. How are you? Oh, well, you know, for someone that only goes outside for a little bit of time every day, I'm pretty good. Oh, the light, the light's there. The light at the end of the tunnel is there. And it's also there for some people who want to buy a house, incidentally. How'd you like that segue? It's terrible. Yeah, Annika and I are going to be looking at why it might be easier to own your own home after this federal budget, but will it be easier for everyone? It'll certainly help some people get into the housing market. So if you're no longer having to pay lenders mortgage insurance, that's a saving of, you know, up to $10,000. Definitely worth sticking around for. But before that, the big news of the day. Keep an eye out on those pay slips of yours, people. Increases in take-home pay should be showing in just a few weeks. Uh, this is thanks to Labor giving the thumbs up to fast-tracking tax cuts in this week's budget. Here is Jim Chalmers, the Shadow Treasurer. We're in the worst recession for almost a century, so there's a role for government to step in and support people and their jobs. We've been really constructive about it. We'll certainly be supporting uh, the tax cuts for low- and middle-income earners because we need that money circulating in our shops and small businesses. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg will officially introduce the legislation today, meaning the majority of Aussies will be better off by about $1,000 a year, depending on how much they earn. Yeah, exactly. It depends on your earnings. So annually, it's about $1,000. Weekly, if you break it down, it looks like You know, you'll be getting a couple of extra coffees a week. Around $20 a week should appear extra in your paycheck. That is if you're earning between $48,000 and $90,000, which a lot of Australians do. Now, the PM, well, he wants you to spend that money. We're dealing with an enormous challenge when it comes to the coronavirus recession and and the pandemic that that caused it. That's why we've targeted uh, the measures to those, particularly on low and middle incomes, because we know that they are more likely to spend it. Now, we'd never tell an Australian how to spend their own money. No, but he will tell you to please do it. How you do it is up to you, but please spend your money. He'll ask nicely. He'll ask nicely. That's right. It'll make tax time next year a bit sweeter too, Jan, because the changes have been backdated to July. Now, what that means is that the 20 bucks a week you would have pocketed over the last four months will now land in your tax return. Yes, and this comes on top of the one-off $1,080 payment that most people would have pocketed for the past two years. That's the low and middle income tax offset that is now in place for another year as well. Jen, a bit more cash in your bank account is always really nice. Um, Not so nice when it comes through your tax return if you owe a lot of money, but you know, it's always nice. But I think the question here for the government is going to be whether or not they get bang for their back stimulus-wise. They really need us to pump that money into the economy, not put it in the bank. Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? If it sort of just sits stagnant in our bank accounts, it's not really going to do all that much. So it's banking on us getting out there and shopping. Things are about to get really tough for thousands of Aussie university students after crossbenchers threw their support behind government reforms to the sector. The cost of degrees in the arts and humanities is going to a jump by a whopping 113%. And yes, that is more than double. While degrees in other areas, including nursing, teaching, agriculture and IT, will become a bit cheaper. Yeah, this plan has actually been in the works for a while. Uh, 
Federal Education Minister Dan Tien. He actually joined the briefing um, to discuss it when it was first announced. What we've done is we've looked at projections as to where the jobs of the future are going to be and we've said, okay, what the government will do is we'll put more in where we know the jobs will be and we'll put less in uh, where we think there is already uh, enough demand in those jobs. The government had, well, all but one negotiated the votes it needed in the Senate to pass these reforms, uh, which were opposed by Labor and the Greens. And at the last minute, that has come through. It's a backflip from South Australian minor party Centre Alliance, and that's the vote that'll secure the reform. Backflip is one word for it. To be honest, I'd probably use a ruder one if we were in an appropriate forum, Jan. Okay, well, you can just tell me after the show then. (laughs) I will, I will. I'll save my swears for then. In June, Centre Alliance's Rebecca Sharkey tweeted that the proposed fee increases would disproportionately affect women and seemed to be unhappy about that. But she secured a little bit of extra cash for South Australian university students, so it seems she's now comfortable setting those concerns aside. Sorry, women. Yeah, Labor has slammed the move, saying that it will leave Australian students with US-sized university debt, which is a lot, uh, when the unemployment market is also looking pretty dire as well. To coronavirus news. Remember that? Coronavirus? Yeah, still around. And some um, grim global records, sadly. Malaysia has seen a jump in cases in 24 hours, 691 cases. That is the highest jump the country has seen since the pandemic started. Europe's second wave also continues, with the Czech Republic notching up a record 4,500 cases in 24 hours. The Netherlands also hit a new high, 5,000 cases recorded in one day, and cases continue to be stubbornly high in France, Spain and the UK. Oh, these are not the kind of records we want to be setting. As for here in Australia, not happy, Jan. That's the feedback from New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian after it was revealed plans to reopen the New South Wales-Queensland border could be put on ice. Yes, it's always a concern when you have a handful of community transmission, but we have to assume during the course of the pandemic that from time to time we're always going to have this. We're always going to have cases pop up because we're in a pandemic, but we're also in an economy which is open. Yeah, this is after the three new cases of community transmission in New South Wales uh, overnight after two weeks of nothing, mind you, which does stuff up the plans to open the border because Queensland wants New South Wales to have 28 days of no cases. So I guess we're back to square one. Jan, there are now 36 million global cases with the highest numbers in India, Brazil, Russia and Colombia. I suppose the good news is that Donald Trump's proven that you just have to dominate it. You just have to dominate the disease. Yeah, tell that to the uh, hundreds of thousands of people who've died. But anyway. Time for me to jump out now. Up next, Jan and Annika with some of the good news to come out of the federal budget. Here's some not very breaking news. It's really freaking hard to buy a house. Yeah, home ownership in Australia is declining. We've known that for many decades. The biggest drop that we've seen is happening for young people. Yeah, in 1971, the home ownership rate for 30 to 34-year-olds was 64%. Now it's 50%. And the same goes for 25 to 29-year-olds. Half of them owned a home in 1971. Now just 37% do. Yeah, and we also know that this pandemic and the subsequent recession 
is going to hit young people especially hard. So almost a third of workers aged 18 to 24 have lost their job. Uh, Under 35s are the group that are most likely to withdraw money from their super, and that means they could be affected adversely later in life. And they'll also be the generation that pays back the debt in the coming decades. Now that sounds like a lot of bad news. It does, doesn't it? Let's get (laughs) that out of the way. Good news, Jen. Look, it might not be, you know, a a saviour for everybody, but Tuesday's budget, they did do something to help you out a little bit if you're looking to buy a house. They added some extra places to the first home loan deposit scheme. An additional 10,000 first home buyers will be able to purchase a home sooner under our first home loan deposit scheme. Now, this scheme allows singles or couples to actually buy their first home with a smaller deposit. You only need a 5% deposit and instead of asking your parents to go guarantor for the loan, the government are going to do it. This stops the need for lenders' mortgage insurance, which can be quite expensive. Until now, the government has only offered 10,000 spots, but they're about to double it. We will help thousands of Australians achieve their dream of home ownership. With us now is the Federal Minister for Housing, Michael Suker, to tell us a little bit more about the scheme. Uh, Michael, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Tell us, how does this scheme actually work? The first home loan deposit scheme uh, through a government guarantee enables first home buyers to purchase their first home with a deposit of as little as 5%. Uh, It was a key election commitment at the last election. We delivered it at the beginning of this year. We've had 20,000 places released under the first home loan deposit scheme It's been wildly popular. Um, So what we have done in this budget is uh, extend the scheme, expand the scheme, an additional 10,000 places which uh, have been released from today uh, with one additional proviso, and that is that the first home is a new home. And the reason we've chosen to do that is, is we wanted to, yes, simultaneously make more places available for first-home buyers, but we also wanted to support the residential construction industry, which needs as much support as it possibly can for its up to one million employees who build the houses and apartments and townhouses that we all live in. What's the catch here, though, Michael? Is there a minimum amount of money I need to put forward for a house deposit? And what's the cap I can be earning to be eligible for the scheme? No, it is 5%, um, Annika, and there are, are, are income caps to make sure that we're targeting this at the right level. So for individuals, your income can't exceed $125,000 per annum and for couples, it can't exceed $200,000 per annum. That's the existing income caps that have been put in place under the scheme. So they will continue for these additional 10,000 places. Other than that, uh, there are 27 participating banks um, who you're able to access a first-home loan deposit guarantee through. Um, all of the usual credit checks and apply, but you know what we have found in recent years is the almost the single biggest barrier to getting into the housing market is getting that deposit together. As banks have required uh, really a minimum of 20% deposit now for people in Sydney or Melbourne, our two most expensive housing markets, that's taking up to 10 years to save for that deposit by accessing a first home loan deposit guarantee. Uh, In many cases and in most cases, we're more than halving that time that it will take to save. So, Mm. yes, you need your 5%. Um, Yes, you have to have a combined income if you're a couple of under $200,000 or $125,000 as a single. But other than that, there's really no catches. 
Is there a risk here? Because as you say, um, banks prefer that first home buyers or any home buyers have a 20% deposit. Now it's down to five. We are in a bit of a risky time. We don't know if there'll be a second or a third wave. We don't know if there'll be a vaccine. We don't know how the next few years will play out. Yes, the government is going guarantor, but is it a little bit risky to go in with a 5% deposit when things are so uncertain? Look, that's a really fair question. It's the, the the data has been really fascinating for me to, to watch as we have had the first 10,000 places that were released on the 1st of January and the second 10,000 places on the 1st of July. We're now getting together a body of data that's, that's showing that actually the number of people uh, that the banks sort of define as have being under mortgage stress are lower in our first home loan deposit scheme cohort than it is the general population. And I know that doesn't make, to some extent, logical sense, but the data doesn't lie. I always knew millennials were more responsible than perhaps people think. But (laughs) what happens to make sure it's evenly spread? You say there's a cap, there's 10,000 places. What happens for those who miss out? Is it a first in, first serve? And how do we make sure that people in regional areas get it or that they don't just all go to people in Sydney because people in Melbourne, say, can't get out and buy a house at the moment? Yeah, look, that's a very good point, Annika. I think the reality is there is more demand for the scheme than there are places. Not not drastically more, but there's a little bit more demand than there are places, which is why we have continued to increase the size of the scheme and this additional 10,000 places that we've released from today we think will um, help us ensure that the number of guarantees really match the level of demand out there. But it is a first-in, best-dressed um, proposition. And the way we've ensured that there's been broad uptake around the whole country, you're right, we didn't want them all being taken up by um, Melbournians and Sydney siders, is we have um, firstly said that there's got to be, of the 27 lender banks, only two from the big four. So we've got CBA and NAB, and then the other 25 banks are small, um, in many cases, regional-based banks. And we've also said that the two major banks can only take uh, up to half of the guarantees, and the other half have to be, at a very minimum, spread amongst the other 25 small banks. And what that is showing is um, that they are actually being spread Uh, widely throughout the country and it hasn't been dominated by Sydney and Melbourne, which again was a deliberate design feature, but you never really know how these things are going to pan out. Mm. But as as it's turned out, um, we're seeing a great spread across the whole country because of the banks that we've chosen to be on the panel. And just finally, 10,000 extra spots. We know that there are something in the order of 6.5 million Australians um, under the age of 35, the home ownership rate, very low for them, well under half. What happens to those who miss out on this scheme? What is in the budget for them? Well, look, we, we continue to put in place measures um, to support home ownership. The, uh, the Home Builder Program is still in place um, and that runs through to the 31st of December and we're keeping a very close eye on that. So that's a $25,000 grant for people purchasing a new home. Um, that is in addition to the first-time super saver scheme, which Annika would know pretty well, uh, which we put in place a couple of years ago, which effectively allows you to salary sacrifice into your superannuation account with a huge tax cut um, to increase your deposit. In the end, um, if you've got a stable and secure job, that's the best place to start in getting into home ownership. 
That was Michael Suka, Housing Minister in the Morrison Government. Now, let's go to someone who's going to put that in a bit of context. Brendan Coates is the Household Finance Program Director at the Grattan Institute. Brendan, we've just heard from the Minister. What do you make of this first home loan deposit scheme? It will certainly help some people get into the housing market. So if you're no longer having to pay lenders mortgage insurance, that's a saving of, you know, up to $10,000. And that's on top of the fact that a lot of younger Australians would be able to access the $25,000 home builder grants if they start to build a new home this year. Um, So that will help probably get a few more people into home ownership. Uh, Some people who are saving for their first home might buy earlier. Others that were just priced out of the market at the moment could probably afford to pay a little bit more. But it's unlikely to have a substantial impact on home ownership over time, largely because most of those that will access the scheme are probably those that would have bought anyway. You know, the income thresholds for the scheme, $125,000 for singles, $200,000 for couples, you know, that only knocks out the top 10 or 15% of income earners. So most people will be eligible. Um, and a lot of those people probably would have otherwise had access to the bank of mum and dad anyway over time. Previous work that we've done suggests that even if everyone who accessed this scheme uh, over the course of a decade was someone who would not have otherwise bought a home, over the course of that decade, you'd only see the home ownership rate rise by 1%. So it'll help at the margin, but it's not a game changer. We know the government have also relaxed rules around lending, so banks actually don't have to check if you can pay off your loan. Do we have to take responsibility here? Is it responsible to buy a house if you've only got 5% of a deposit, even if the government are going to guarantee the extra for you? Or should we actually try and save a little bit more? There is a degree to which we are asking people to make sure they, in fact, can afford to take out the loans. And I think in most cases, when it comes to home loans, that's the way people think about it. What am I earning today? What am I paying in rent? How much am I saving? And is there enough of a gap there, maybe with a bit of behavioural change if I take out a home loan, to be able to afford the loan in the medium term? And in the most cases, people are pretty good at assessing that. You mentioned earlier that the first home loan deposit scheme is not a game changer in your view. What would have been required in this budget to make it a game changer for young people to actually be able to enter the housing market en masse? Well, so we've seen over the course of the last 30 years that home ownership rates have been falling and they've been falling particularly fast for younger, poorer Australians. You know, so 30 years ago, um, most people of most income levels um, ended up owning a home. Whereas today, if you're amongst the poorest, 40% of younger people, those home ownership rates have crashed. Now, the drives of that are the fact that house prices have gone up. Housing has become much more expensive. And so you're unlikely to see younger people enter the home ownership market en masse while house prices remain high. For first home buyers to win, someone's got to lose. And that probably means prices have to fall or at least stagnate over a long period of time. And that's never been in the interests of governments of either side of politics. And so unsurprisingly, we haven't seen it happen. Or any homeowners who definitely wouldn't want their property prices to fall. What I want to ask you about, though, is the rental market, which actually comes into that because we do need people to buy houses so they can rent them out. We're in the midst of a recession and we haven't really seen what that will do to the rental market. What are we predicting to happen there? Well, what we've seen so far is that rents have been falling. So the closer a home is to the centre of our major cities in, say, Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane, the larger the fall in rents has been. Now, rents have fallen quite sharply for inner city apartments. So in Melbourne, you're talking about rental falls of 10%. Uh, For houses, it's more like 5%. 
In the long term, we don't quite know what's going to happen yet. Almost all of it comes down to what happens to population growth. So migration slow to a complete halt. We don't know exactly how long that's going to last. Um, most migrants tend to end up renting in the inner and middle ring suburbs of our major cities. We're all working from home longer. We're not sure how much, uh, whether that's going to see a big shift in where people choose to live. Certainly having fewer people coming into the country and therefore population growth being slower will mean that rents will be lower. Um, and so you'd expect that rental prices will probably stagnate for quite a long time. And what's propping up house prices is the fact that interest rates have hit record lows. That was Brendan Coates from the Grattan Institute there. He touched on it a little bit there, Jan, but one thing the government failed to do in the, this week's budget was, of course, a permanent lift to the job seeker payment. And that's the old news start for people that are actually looking for work. They're the most likely to spend. That's where the money will get back into the economy. So people in Canberra are hopeful that it won't go back to pre-pandemic levels, but we really do need some certainty around that. Yeah, and if you are facing some financial difficulties, by the way, go to moneysmart.gov.au or call the National Debt Helpline on 1-800-007-007. All right, tomorrow we ask the question, is fast fashion destroying the planet? Find out the answer. You've got to join us there tomorrow and tell your friends to also join us there tomorrow because we'd love to have you listening to the podcast. As always, like, subscribe, tell your friends to do that. It really does help people find the show. And hit us up on social media. Always happy to hear from you. Bye. A Podcast One production.